Hi, greetings from Sun Valley, Arizona. They uh, enjoying a good wind today. A lot of real estate's changing hands as the dust from somebody's property comes over to our property. A lot of it settles right in the house and our dust out there in our yard's going someplace else. So I guess everything's going to be all right. Anyhow, I wanted to give you a report on the pickup. I told you a couple weeks ago that we were having problems with the pickup that it looked like uh, maybe it had I had bought the farm with a motor or something and and we thought well we might have to replace the pickup by buying another and we couldn't afford to do that uh, my grandson-in-law Elijah uh, Riggs found a motor that would fit in my pickup in fact it was the same size as what I've got in the pickup and it was $1,100 and it was in Ohio and they said it would be free shipping but I couldn't afford that either. wasn't sure what I was going to do. But thank God, I've got my pickup today. It's running. I had taken it in to a uh, place to have them look at it. And some retired mechanic happened to see it and went to work on it and just kept working and plugging away until finally he found all the stuff that was wrong with it. We thought we were going to have to ship it over to Winslow and, and get some parts uh, put in it that only the Ford Motor Company could do but as it turned out we didn't have to do that and this mechanic uh, had worked at it and he called me and said your pickups running I said well praise God that's wonderful and it only cost a fraction of what we thought we would have to pay probably six hundred eight dollars is about all that I had to pay to get the thing going again but there's another side to the story too this mechanic that's retired uh, hasn't been to church for a long time. And I invited him to come to church with us on Sunday. Said we'd take him out for dinner. And he said, well, he'd love that. He used to go to church and all. And so we're supposed to meet him at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning and go over to the church that we've been worshiping at. And I just think God probably orchestrated this in such a way that uh, I had to have the truck worked on so the right person could work on it so I as a pastor could talk to him and, and invite him to church as a Christian let him know that Jesus Christ is the way the truth and the life and I just praise God for the way he works today I want to talk about a good conscience you know we need to have a good conscience in Acts chapter 23 verse 1 says then Paul looking earnestly at the council said men and brethren I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day these were people of the Sanhedrin that had Paul on trial they were trying to uh, quiet him maybe even kill him for his testimony about Jesus Christ have you ever been persecuted because you're a Christian you know if you're genuine you can expect that it's going to happen and uh, people are going to uh, let you know that maybe they don't appreciate your stand that you're taking for Jesus Christ. In fact, I was reading a while back that persecution is becoming more and more common for Christians in the United States. We know that it happens in other places in the world and it's happening here too. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 said, Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Matthew chapter 5 verse 11, Jesus is saying, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. 
Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Don't confuse persecution with punishment. Persecution is when bad people persecute you for doing good. Punishment is when good people punish you for doing bad. Even Christians sometimes make foolish decisions and use poor judgment and mess up. Then when the consequences come, they often try to sound holy by saying, well, I guess we're just being persecuted. We can expect some persecution for doing what's right, if we'll do what's right. The Apostle Paul knew about persecution. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 27, he says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant in stripes, above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleepiness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. You know, he knew what it was to be persecuted, and uh, he made up his mind no matter what he had to face, it was worth facing for Jesus Christ. We need to make that decision too. Paul was warned that he'd be persecuted if he returned to Jerusalem, uh, but he said he felt like he needed to go there and, and felt like God was leading him. When he arrived, a, a crowd, a mob, attacked him. In Acts chapter 21 and 22 reads just like an Indiana Jones movie. Paul was really going through it at that time. The Roman authorities arrived just in time to rescue Paul from this mob. They were in such a frenzy, frenzy that the soldiers had to actually lift Paul over their heads to get him out of there. Now Paul stood before the Roman authorities and they decided to interrogate him by torture. They prepared to scourge him, but discovered that he was a Roman citizen. Some of those were not Roman citizens, and this was something that you were not supposed to treat, uh, mistreat a, a citizen from Rome because it could get you in a lot of trouble. And so this scared them that they found out that he was a citizen of Rome, and they backed off. They turned him over to the Jewish council. The Sanhedrin was their supreme court. It was made up of 71 leading Bible teachers, people like chief priests and scribes and elders. They had the power to execute him, and they had already executed Stephen, if you remember. Paul knew their power, but he stood before them at peace. Acts 23, 1, then Paul, looking earnestly at the council, said, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Note the word earnestly means he looked them straight in the eyes, not ashamed, not afraid, and not about to back down. Paul had been a member of the Sanhedrin himself. Now they considered him a traitor. There's nothing they wanted more than to execute him. Yet he stood before them cool, calm, and collected. How? 
Well, we have to be morally clean. Look at, at Acts chapter 23, verse 1. I have lived in the good conscience uh, before God until this day. What did he mean, good conscience? Conscience is that inner voice which accuses us when we do wrong. The alarm that sounds inside us warning that we're about to do wrong. A word of warning about your conscience. The world says, let your conscience be your guide. Well, that's not always a good idea. You can't always do that. Because conscience doesn't set the standard of right and wrong. It only applies the standards that you've been taught. Conscience is like a, a thermostat. It can be set to operate at many different levels. Uh, criminals sometimes cop plea deals to get reduced sentences. I was thinking about several years ago when Eric Holder uh, was uh, on trial for that Fast and Furious program they had that was a total bust. Surely, you know, when a, a criminal is there, their conscience tells them not to rat on others that they know about. Their conscience bothers them to turn others in. Not because it's wrong, because it is right. So our conscience can lead us astray unless we based on a proper standard, uh, the, the word of God. You know, we, we need to know God's word. That's what he means when he says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Acts chapter 24 verse 16 says, This being so, I myself also strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Then we can be confident in spite of criticism and we can have peace in the face of persecution. When you know you're doing right in God's eyes and you're acting according to God's word, then unfounded criticism will roll off you like water off a duck's back. If God be for us, who can be against us? We need to be careful with our conscience. It's important, but it can be defiled. Titus chapter 1 verse 15, To the pure all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving nothing is pure, but even their mind and conscience are defiled. Conscience is like a sundial. You can shine a flashlight on a sundial and make it say anything you want it to. If you hold the flashlight at the right angle, you can make it look like it's mid-afternoon in the, in the very middle of night. I've met Christians with sin issues, only to hear them say they, they don't feel what they're doing is wrong. They say something like, I'm okay with it. I don't believe it's sin. The truth isn't based on feeling. It's based on fact. Their conscience is still there. It's just been dulled and defiled. Stealing things from work could be one of the things that oh, you see people do. You know, they, they think, well, it's okay if I put some tools in my lunchbox because the company's big and they'll never miss them anyhow. Or maybe, you know, they say, I, I want some things from the office and nobody's going to miss them. I mean, they, they don't hardly mean anything to the, the company, you know. But I want to remind you that Jesus says, thou shalt not steal. He didn't say, don't steal the big things. He said, don't steal. And so if you take something, even an eraser or something from the office that doesn't belong to you, you are stealing. And you might be able to solve your conscience and say, you know, it doesn't matter because it's just a little thing. But one day God's going to ask you about that. So I think I'd be very, very careful here. Conscience is like a window. The light coming through the window is the word of God. The dirtier the window, the less light can get through. 
it, it isn't as pure and it browns the light. Some Christians sin so often they defile their conscience. The first time they did that, it really bothered them. They confessed it and they tried to do better, but they fell again and felt guilty. Eventually, though, they didn't want to confess any more negative feelings, so they just rationalized and swept it under the rug and, and the gla glass darkened. And now they do it freely anytime. They've learned to accept something that they shouldn't accept. I'm reminded of something that happened way back when I was pastoring the Nazarene Church in Grand Coulee, Washington. We lived in a dump of a parsonage that I wouldn't even put my dog in. It was full of mold, mice, termites, ants, and spiders. The roof leaked profusely, and the floor was rotten and collapsing in a couple of the rooms. The house was so unhealthy for our baby, Tammy, that we eventually had to move by doctor's orders if we wanted to keep her alive. I had my mimeograph and a few other office items in the dank old basement down there, and I would go down the rickety stairs to do my work. Those stairs eventually collapsed, and I had to climb through a basement window to get to my office. There was a spider that lived on those stairs when I was going up and down. Every time I would go down the stairs before they collapsed, I'd see that spider quickly dart to safety into a crack in the shadows under the step. This happened every time I went downstairs, but I noticed the spider was getting used to me and didn't dart away quite so quickly. Uh, he, the more I used the stairs, the less he was to try to get away. One day he'd become so accustomed to my passing that he didn't even dart at all. And that was his demise. That was when I dispatched him into eternity. What a lesson. We can become so used to this sinful world that we lose our fear of falling into Satan's trap. And that could bring our spiritual demise. The conscience can be defiled. Then the conscience can be seared. Second Timothy 4, 1 and 2. Now that the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. You see all those old westerns where the cowboys grab a branding iron and burn the ranch symbol onto the cow's hide, or searing a conscience is like branding animal flesh, that the nerve endings die. There's an old Indian proverb that says, Conscience is an arrowhead inside the heart. When you sin, it turns and the sharp edge pricks at your heart. Over time, if you ignore it and let it keep turning, the sharp edge dulls to a rounded smooth end and you can't even feel it anymore as it spins away. An old prospector sleeping in his tent tied his dog outside. The dog started barking, so he hollered at him to be quiet. Again, the dog barked, and the old man cussed at the dog and called him all kinds of names and said, Shut up! The dog barked again. He went out and kicked the dog again and again, and he kicked it to death. He went back in the tent, went to sleep, only to be murdered by the intruders that the dog was trying to warn him were coming. You know, many Christians have kicked their conscience to death and now are headed headlong for disaster and don't even know it because they've disconnected the alarm. The conscience can be defiled and seared. 
That's why there's no difference between the moral standards of the church and the world today. You know, we, we put up with premarital sex and cohabitation and homosexuality and divorce and on and on and on. It can be evil. Hebrews 10.22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. This conscience actually approves of evil. It's become so warped, perverted, and twisted that it calls good evil and evil good. But the Bible says, woe unto them that do that. Even Christians get, get so distorted through continually living in sin, around sin, that they no longer know the difference between right and wrong. Don't say it can't happen to you or it hasn't happened. There was a pastor in Texas who had a child porn pop up on his PowerPoint presentation. You think, how can a man of God get to that point? Well, he allowed his conscience to be defiled, then seared or deadened, and it became an evil conscience. He probably even felt justified in what he was doing right in his church office. When I moved to Portland, Oregon, I had a district superintendent that everybody thought was such a neat guy. And, and believe it, they said he was on his way to becoming a general superintendent in the Wesleyan Church. But lo and behold, one day we heard on the news that he had been arrested for going across state lines. He had come from his home in Washington over on the Oregon side in order to meet what he thought was a young teenage girl for immoral purposes. And instead, it was a, an adult police officer that tricked him to come over. And how it bothered me to think that a district superintendent, my boss in the church, could do something like that. I wondered, how could this happen? Well, he traveled a lot. He probably, uh, you know, he was alone a lot in motels and stuff. Probably watched things on television, on HBO or something he shouldn't have. Maybe picked up some pornography someplace and justified well it was okay he was alone and it wouldn't hurt anyway and the next thing you know I mean that's the way sin starts it starts small but it grows and it grows until finally he lost his whole career and he lost the respect of his church I'm so sorry that he allowed that to happen but his conscience was seared was deadened how is it in America that we've come to the place of allowing a woman to kill her unborn child the same three answers. Conscience can be defiled, seared, and tolerate evil. We explain same-sex marriage as just an alternate lifestyle. Sex before marriage is not acceptable because everybody does it, and at least you need to know what you're going to have when you get married. I mean, you know, you try out a, a car before you have it, but that is still different because now you're breaking God's commands. Drugs and alcohol are the norm to take our mind off the pressures we face. Paul was being persecuted, but he had peace. He stood with confidence in the face of criticism because he had a good conscience through confession and repentance and a right relationship with Jesus Christ. My prayer is that we allow God to tenderize our consciences. We get back to his standards. And we get back to his holiness. You know, the Bible says in First Peter, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. And somehow we as church 
have tolerated so many things we don't even think about holiness or sanctification having God set our lives apart for his holy use and I want you to know that that is still something that God intends for us to have and God is going to question us about it at the judgment if we don't get our hearts pure before him you know the only way that happens is when we spend time with him and we surrender to his will I want to go ahead with this thought next week. I plan to speak on how to rid our wretched selves of the body of this death before it destroys us. So please read Romans chapter 7 and 8 in preparation, and we'll talk next week about what it means to be holy, how to get sanctified, and why God requires that kind of thing from his people, because he won't let sin into his holy heaven. Let's pray. Father, I just pray everyone that is hearing my message today will heed and will realize, Lord, that even though we think we can rationalize and say, well, I'm above that, I would never do those things, Lord, help us to let you control our conscience. Help us not to sear or destroy our conscience, but help us, God, remain tender towards you and to learn to love you more. Now, Father, there's some people that are listening to this undoubtedly that have not accepted you as their personal Savior. And I would ask Jesus today that you help them to come to a point where they pray and ask forgiveness of sin and make a commitment that they're going to live for Jesus Christ. Maybe there's some people here that at one time were devout Christians but somehow or other have seared their conscience and are living less than what God wants them to. I pray that you'll help them to come back to you and get things straightened out. Lord, we need to be saved. We need to be have our hearts sanctified, set apart for your holy use. And we need, Lord, to honor you and the walk of holiness. Thank you, Father, because you've not only asked us or, or told us to do these things, but you made it possible to do them. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. If you need to get in touch with me my my email is lowercase r-e-v-w-m-w-w-o-o-d-s at gmail.com and uh, my mailing address is William Woods box 4031 Sun Valley Arizona 86029 God bless you I'm so glad I could share this with you let's be praying about next week and let's pray that God will do something dynamic in our lives and we might be able to be used to help do something dynamic to other people. We ask God to help us there too. Goodbye.